little bit. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel 17. And then we're also going to end up in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll read a few verses. And then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Now, most of you have probably heard of David and Goliath. I think there's a lot of people, uh, maybe people that don't even read the Bible, haven't really gone to church, and they've heard of David and Goliath. A little bit like our Sunday school class, mostly everybody knows that Jesus turned the water to wine, right? Uh, it's just the, the details about that that very few know. But uh, in the story of David and Goliath, there are some things here. There's, there, there are probably 20 messages you could extract out of this. And so I'm going to be honest with you, it was a hard passage for me to just get one thought out of, but the Lord uh, uh, gave me some things to think about that I, I hope will be a help to you this week of Thanksgiving in particular. Uh, look at First Samuel chapter 17, and then we'll go to First Corinthians 15 in just a moment. Look, if you would, at verse number 48, toward the end of the chapter, verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, his name's Goliath, and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Most people run away. He ran toward the problem. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. I think God puts that in there for a reason, just so you know, hey, Look, this is the exact opposite of how anyone would expect somebody to win. But when I'm involved, I am the X factor, right? That's who the Lord is. All right, look if you would at verse uh, number uh, 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Look if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. You know what everybody likes? Everybody likes an underdog story. There, there are movies, countless movies about underdog stories. When you hear, bum, bum, ba-da, bum, ba-da, bum, 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 you know, you think about some guy running to the top of the stairs, you know, and Rocky, you know, he defeats the, the guy. He's the last one you'd expect to win. And we love those stories. David and Goliath is that classic story. But can, can I say this? Without struggle, there is no victory. And, and so as we look at, at, at victory and what it means to give thanks, I, I think it's easy for us to thank God for the shelter and thank God for the, the family and thank God for the food. What about thanking God for the problems? Amen. Look at First Corinthians chapter 15. Look, if you would, at verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Isn't that a blessing? God's going to let you in on one of his mysteries. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Aren't you looking forward to that? Man, I am looking forward to that. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in what? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. That's what Thanksgiving week's all about. It's not just about turkey and football, guys. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask Javen, young man, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. All I got out of that was, Pastor, hurry up so we can get to the pie. (laughs) Not realizing it's several hours from now, that's okay. But I want to call your attention to 1 Corinthians 15 again, and 
point out that the Lord mentions through the Apostle Paul the subject of victory. But the context of 1 Corinthians 15, go back to the beginning of the chapter. Look, if you would, at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And what you find out is that Paul lays out for us very eloquently, but yet very succinctly, the the tenets of what the Bible calls the gospel of the grace of God. There are different gospels preached in the Bible, but however, there are many perverted gospels being preached today. But the gospel of the grace of God is simply this. If you're not saved, if you've never been born again, here's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins and was buried, but thank God he didn't stay there. He arose. Amen. And so if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you don't have to join the church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to do some great thing or, you know, try to keep all the Ten Commandments. You won't keep them anyways. You've already broken most of them, as have most of us. The gospel is you could not live a good enough life to save yourself. That's different from religion. Religion says, hey, do this, do this, get baptized, join a church, uh, do good deeds, uh, you know, uh, uh, keep the Sabbath, whatever all these other things are. And maybe when you get there, God will weigh your good works against your bad works, and hopefully your good outweighs your bad. Let me just throw that out right now. That's not biblically sound. Here's how it goes. You're going to stand next, right next to Jesus Christ, a sinless man, a man that never thought a dirty thought, said a bad word, did the wrong thing, always obeyed his parents, always obeyed his parents oh okay just going anyway he he was sinless and is the example for all of mankind and you're going to stand next to him and god the father is going to say if your righteousness is at least as good as his i'll let you in you know what he says you can't do it so i will do it for you thank god for that that's why he died He died to make a way for you. That's what this chapter is about. And as he talks about the the death and the the burial, he then speaks of the resurrection. And he says in so many words throughout this chapter, look, without the resurrection, you don't have a story. You don't have a faith. You don't have a gospel. Uh, Look at verse number 17 in this chapter. I want you to show you this. Verse 17 says, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Think about this. If the Bible says Christ died for our sins and he was buried, and that's where it stops, you know what that means? We don't have any faith to celebrate whatsoever. Look, if you would, at verse number 18 in the same chapter. He says this, Then they which also are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only, verse 19, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most what? Man, the, the, the rest of the chapter, he just branches out from there and he talks about the resurrection. And as he speaks of the resurrection, clearly he shows us that this is our eternal victory. This is where we conquer death and sin once and for all. I can't wait for that day. You may not like what you're looking at. You know what? I don't always like what I'm looking at either. When I look in the mirror, I don't like what's looking back at me, but someday, whenever G- when God the Father sees me, he's going to see his son in me, and with nothing standing in the way, no more sin, no more body of flesh, it's going to be Jesus Christ shining through me for all eternity. I can't wait for that day. So we understand that the victory is ours in the end. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 38, we know this much about the resurrection. God gives us a body that day that will please him. You don't have a body that pleases him now. Your body pleases you. That's how we're wired. And usually what the body, what the flesh wants, goes against what God wants. Uh, Look at verse 49, same chapter. We understand that when we take that body on, that new spiritual body, we are going to be in his image perfectly forever. Uh, Look at verse number 52. We know this. It's going to happen quickly. Amen? Uh, Listen, there are some things in this life. Change takes what? But man, when that day comes, when the rapture of the church comes, it's going to happen just like that, and I can't wait. Man, what I've been trying to do for the last 20-some, 30 years of my life as a Christian, since Billy Haas led me to the Lord on this side of the altar at Silver State Baptist Youth Camp in Sedalia, Colorado, ever since that day, I've been trying to follow Jesus Christ and allow his image to shine shine through me and allow his image to be more conformed in my life. And that's a struggle every single day, is it not? And after all those years of me doing it, God's going to go, all right, we're done, boom, and then that's going to be it. I can't wait for that day. It's going to take place quickly. Uh, it's, there are some things in life that take a long time. Amen? Getting out of the house with kids. Amen? All right? Listen, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I've been watching. Someone sent me some reels. It shows like dad or husband leaving the house. It's like, here's how it goes. You ready? 
Phone, wallet, boom, let's go. Wife leaving the house. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, we got. Honey, we're going to come back in a couple hours. It's okay. Some things take time in this life, but man, I can't wait for the day that he calls us home. It's going to happen like that. And in verse 55, we know this, that when that day comes, we're going to conquer death and the grave once and for all. Uh, look at verse 57. We understand in verse 57 that, that, that victory is connected with the resurrection. In verse 58, we understand that that is what keeps us going. That's why we keep on in the Christian life. That's why we don't quit, because we're looking forward to that day. And listen, if you do quit living the, the Christian life as you ought to, thank God you won't lose your salvation. But man, I'll tell you what, you'd much rather go out going, man, with a bang going, I served him all the way to the end. If you're going to do that, it's because your eyes are set on that eternal victory. But can I ask you a question? You ever notice in verse number 57, it does not say, but thanks be to God, which shall give us the victory. You notice the wording there matters? Giveth. That is present tense. You know what that means? God wants you to understand that because of where you're headed, you can experience some victory right now. I'm very well aware, contextually speaking, that that victory is, is eternal once and for all. But it doesn't mean that as a Christian, you should walk around like this for the rest of your life. How are you doing? Oh, under the circumstances, I don't know. That, listen, nobody wants to be around Eeyore. And just because you have a Bible under your arm doesn't mean that it makes you more spiritual to look like Eeyore. You're just Eeyore with the Bible. By the way, do you know what Eeyore was? He was a donkey. Remember the message from a couple weeks ago? All right, you don't want to be that guy. You, we know what I'm getting at is this. You should live, Christian, in some victory. You should experience victory as a child of God. It doesn't mean that everything that you point at, uh, I want a million dollars, and there it is. Now, these days, everybody talks about manifesting. I spoke it, and it, it showed up. Let me just, let me, can I tell you what's dangerous about that? The only person that does that is God. And when you think you can do that, you got your, your, something's not right up here. You've been listening to the wrong things. I, I know what, now listen, I will give you this. If you walk around like Eeyore all the time, all you ever see are clouds and rain. All right? And, and I get that. And as a Christian, as a child of God, you should be able to look at the rain clouds and go, yeah, but there's a rainbow behind there. Amen? That, that doesn't mean you manifested it. It means God had it there the whole time, and you couldn't see it because you're flesh. And when you got in the right frame of mind, you could see what God had there the whole time. You say, what is that? That's called victorious Christian living. Doesn't the Bible say he? Now listen, people say this Bible is hard to understand. How about this? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you guys understand that? Whoa, teenagers in 2022 got something that's 400 and some years old, Elizabeth in English. The Bible is a lot more plain to understand than people want. It's not what you don't, under, it's not what you don't understand. It's what you do understand that you don't like. That, that, therein lies the issue. The Bible, listen, here's a, a, a verse with all one-syllable words. You ready? He that hath the Son hath life. Amen. All right, any, any homeschool grammar teacher moms in here, raise your hand. Let it testify. Let it witness. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, one-syllable words, right? He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You got him or you don't. And, by the way, that's all present tense. You either have eternal life now or you don't. And so here's what I would propose to you this morning, that the life that he's talking about is new life, amen, because once you get saved, you're a new creature in Christ. Now, listen, I asked Brother Javen to pray, and you know what? He was a little sidetracked with the pies. That's okay. Praise God. That's all right. That means he's probably called to be a Baptist preacher more than likely, you know, blessing food before we're eating, you know. But I can tell you this much. If I'd asked him a year and a half ago to pray over anything, he would have been like, what the blank are you talking about? He wasn't saved. God's done a great work in his life. He is different than he was then. You say, well, he's still a teenager. Well, listen, we all have our issues. You know what? We can't all be as wise and as smart as some people, all right? The reality is God's working on all of us, but I can tell you this much. He is a new creature in Christ because of getting saved. When you get saved, you have new life, and you also have eternal life. 
even though you don't have all the blessings of eternal life yet, you know, you're not in a body that's going to live forever. Thank God for that. The older I get, the more I realize, man, what once was up has now come down. I used to have a, you know, just strong. And then the boys, where you at? The strength becomes brute. Right? Just, you know, the, the, the jet black hair, man. Oh, you like it. Look at that. You're laughing. I see. Imagine your hair all white, bro. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. You know what? We're not going to be in this temple forever. This is temporary. But, 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 but listen to me. But listen to me. If you're saved, you already have eternal life within you. So it's new life, it's eternal life, but can I also throw this out there? It's abundant life. Do you know what, what Jesus says? He said, the, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more what? Abundantly, Abundantly implies like flourishing and thriving, not just surviving. Now listen, there are seasons of life where you survive, amen? I love that everyone's coming up to my wife and going, get ready for no sleep. As if this is our first kid. We're not, we're not newbies. They go, well, it's been a long time. Yeah, let me just say, let me help you out a little bit. If you're trying to encourage her, understand she hasn't slept for like three months. All right? So she's already doing without sleep. There are seasons of life where you feel, shall we say, less abundant. Where you're kind of just surviving. The first few weeks of a new baby in the house, it's survival mode. When the kids go, Dad, can we know? But it's just No. But my friends, ah! we're surviving right now. One day they're going to wake up after, after Olivia's here. I'm going to have like a Rambo thing on, paint on my face, you know. See me against the baby. and Everybody else, get out, you know. There are some seasons of life that are that way. I'll give you that. But can I just say this? You as a child of God, the greater picture, it shouldn't just be, I'm just surviving. There should be some thriving there. Amen. Say why? Because God said it. Because Jesus said this is why he came. He came to, to, to give life and to give it that you might have it more abundantly. Victory is something that we have. Listen to me very carefully. Our salvation, victory over sin and over death, listen to me very carefully, was given to us because Jesus Christ went through the greatest struggle anyone could go through. But there are victories that he wants you to have and what that implies is this, you're going to have to struggle through some things. Listen, you're going to face some giants. Can I say it like that? There's going to be some things in your life that are bigger to you in the moment than you feel that God himself is, and you're going to have to find a way to overcome them. Or you know what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Run away from the battle, run away from the problems, never experience what real victorious Christian living is actually all about. I'm convinced that most Christians kind of sit on the sidelines not really understanding what it is to have victory. It doesn't mean life is perfect or that all the circumstances are in your favor all the time. That's not victory. As a matter of fact, you know what that is? That's taking, that's having a life basically given to you through an inheritance. You ever met someone that worked for their fortune? And you ever met someone that just inherited it? Have you noticed a difference? There's a big difference there, is there not? You know what God wants you? He, God does not want a bunch of trust fund babies in his church. The Lord wants some kids that are willing to roll up their sleeves and go, all right, God, I want to learn about you. I want to draw closer to you. I want to have victory in this life, which means I'm going to have some struggle. I read this, Frederick Douglass, very wise man, said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. The probability that we may fail in the struggle ought not to deter us from the support of a cause that we believe to be just, Abraham Lincoln. And you know what might freeze over right now because I'm about to quote Pope Paul the, the sixth, but here we go. Listen, I don't care who says something, if it's right, it's right. And if it's right, that means that little sliver, whatever they said, what has some biblical background behind it. Here's what he said, all life demands struggle. Those who have everything given to them become lazy, selfish, and insensitive to the real values of life. I'm reading a book right now called Men Without Work, and it's about the fact that we have the largest population of men ages 25 to 54 that have chosen not to work. Not that they can't work. Let me, if you are looking for a job, can I tell you right now, I, I run a recruiting and staffing company. I got plenty of jobs. We don't have a problem of, of a lack of work. We have a problem of a lack of people being willing to work. Why? Because if everything's handed to me and I get 600 bucks a week, I don't have to go to work. I'll just barely survive. 
That's not, that's not thriving in life. That's just surviving. You know what God wants you to experience on the spiritual side of things, of politics and economy aside? You know what God wants you to experience? Victory. Can, can I say it? When you remove all the struggle away, look, I don't mean to, I, in no way, shape, or form, am I, I, I love and I honestly empathize strongly for our young people. The things that they're facing, those of you that are closer to me in my age, right, in your 30s, 40s, right, maybe early 50s, high school was a, yeah, high school was always, you know, a hard time and all. It ain't like that anymore. Now it's like, if you want to be cool, you have to say that you're like, you know, not comfortable in your own skin. Are you reading between the lines? If you want to fit in, you got to do things that really are against the word of God. And there's pressure. Look, I know someone that works for the state of Colorado and they had questions asked of them in a quiz this week that said, who would you find more ter- uh, more capable of, the, of terrorism, Christians or Muslims? Are, are, really? Why, why is any state employee having to answer a question like that? I don't care what you think the answer is. That's not their business. But what I'm getting at is that there's pressure from society on them, but one of the pressures that's on them is, is simply to be, you know, the next sensation. Hey, listen, just because I was walking the mall yesterday with uh, my, my younger kids at Park Meadows Mall, and I saw these two girls. I had no idea what they were doing until later on. They had phones at, against the wall, and they're doing this. I was like, what is going on? Then I realized they're making a video so they can be important. <laughs> Look, I, I got news for you. If you want to make it in life, roll up your sleeves and work. But you need to learn to struggle through some things. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean, but we're expecting a generation to potentially fight wars for the protection of our country who want to time out from work when they're stressed. I'm not trying to be mean or pick on you. You know why they're that way? Because moms and dads didn't say, go outside and play in the snow. It's cold. I don't care. I will bundle you up. I will wrap you in cellophane. Go play outside. And then whenever it's time to do chores around the house, I don't want to. Well, guess what? I don't want to pay taxes, man. But guess what? Life doesn't get easier from here. You're going to pick up your room. You're going to mow the lawn. You're going to take out the trash. You're gonna, you say, why? Because I want you to be a productive member of society. And I want you to know that there's a struggle. There's going to be struggle the rest of your life. And if you don't experience it when you're young, you don't know how to deal with it at work. Or your marriage. Or your family. Do you understand? Struggle is part of life. You may remember the story. David's a man after God's own heart, right? I remember when I was a kid at uh, this non-denominational church that we grew up in called Gethsemane Church. I don't know if it's still called that or what it's called now. I think they changed their name. Evansville, Indiana. Um, they, they were off on their doctrine, but they taught us about Jesus, and I'll forever be in great, uh, uh, indebted to them for their, their loving me and my family. I'll never forget that. And I remember they had, uh, uh, instead of Halloween, they had Hallelujah Night. Anybody ever heard that? Right? It's like where you dress up as your favorite Bible character. And so I'll never forget. Uh, it was the night of, and my family was crazy. Like, I think whatever you think family crazies, uh, fa- uh, crazy families are, you need to come meet my family, all right? And, and so I'll never forget, like, oh, it's, it's Wednesday night of Halloween night. It's been announced for five months, and it's, it's Wednesday. And it's like, I don't have an outfit. I want to be King David. My mom literally grabbed a sheet off the bed, starts cutting it, wraps it around me, goes, there you are, King David. I'll never forget that. I wanted to be David when I was little. I'll never forget when I read 2 Samuel 11. You don't have to turn there right now. I remember reading that going, David did that? Say, what did David do? Well, he looked at a woman that was bathing. He said, I want her. He called for her. He took her. And then he has her husband killed to cover it up. People that say the Bible is not realistic have never read the Bible. It deals with human nature like no other book. And you know, I thought about that. He went all, he went that far into, the, into that mess. You know where it all started? The chapter, listen to me, starts out like this. At the time when kings go forth to battle. You know what David did? He eluded the struggle that was there. The same one that kills that giant, he eluded. I think of a man named Nabal. And you might remember, listen, my heart goes out to any women that marry a guy like Nabal. I mean, here's Nabal 
Uh, David and his mighty men, you know, they surround this guy Nabal, not to hurt him, but actually to be a fortress and a protection to his shepherds that, 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 that were watching over their sheep. Nabal was a very rich man. And Nabal owned a lot of livestock and a lot of land. And so one day David comes to him and he's tired and he's hungry. He goes, hey, he sent some messengers. Would you, would you uh, give us just a small portion of all of your wealth? You know, we've been protecting your shepherds. We've been taking care of the guys out in the country. Would you help us out a little bit? And he goes, ah, these days there's all kinds of runaway slaves. Why should I take from my food and give it to some vigilante, some, some fugitive of, of the law like you? And you know what David says? All right, boys, let's sort up. Let's go. And on his way to go kill Nabal, you know what happens? Abigail, the wife, has to step in. And she goes, his name basically gives away. It means churlish. It means basically, you know what Nabal is? He's a jerk. Why do I mention Nabal? Nabal uh, was the great, 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 great grandson of Caleb. You know what Caleb did to gain that land? He went up a mountain and fought the giants that were there and subdued that land so that that land could be his and his family's. What did Nabal do to get that land? You see how the lack of struggle can ruin you? You see, the Bible says he's, he giveth us the victory, and that's something that we can have right now. And, and as we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, I've heard people say this before, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. You guys believe that? And I've heard people say, but it doesn't say for everything give thanks. Not quite true. Giving thanks always for all things. Ephesians 5 verse 20. That's a little bit harder. I can say, God, thank you for my family and thank you for your blessings and thank you for the people that have gotten saved and Lord, thank you for the the shelter and thank you for the vehicle and thank you for the job and thank you for the house and thank you for this and thank you for that. I can do that. But then when it comes to me looking at the giants in my life and saying, God, thank you for that giant. Thank you for the struggle. That's hard. But I'll tell you this, if you ever want to get closer to the Lord and live real victorious Christian living, you don't need to learn to do, thank Him for the giants. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. There are all kinds of people in this room. There are some of you that when it comes to confrontation... Your way of dealing with it is just to kind of hope that it goes away. Some things don't go away. Like, you know, when you go to Walmart or some store and someone's pushing a cart, some mom or dad's pushing a cart, and the kid's like, "Ah!" and just does that at the top of their lungs, and the mom or dad's just like, hello, hi, hi. (laughs) You You know what they're doing? They're hoping by ignoring it, it goes away. For the rest of us, it didn't go away. And then there are some of you that are like, confrontation, bam, who wants confrontation? <laughs> I, got, I got both personality types in the room. Here's what I can say. Sometimes you need to let God deal with it, and there are some things in your life that God goes, I want you to deal with that. Amen. And this is one of those stories where David goes, and as we understand, eventually he takes off the head of that giant, he defeats that giant, but I just want to show you how he got there. And and I want to say this, I think you have to learn to thank God for the giants, first off, because they force you to be spiritually aware. Look at verse number 23. As Goliath comes and he's taunting the army of Israel and he's mocking their God, look what it says in verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to to the same words. You say, what are the words that he's speaking? If you go back to verse number eight and verse number nine and verse number 10 and verse number 11, you learn what he's taunting the armies of God. He is taunting the nation. Listen to me, it's like this. He's taunting God's people saying, hey, I dare you take a swing. Come on. When is someone going to stand up against me? Hey, you say you worship the one true God and you won't stand up against me? What kind of God do you have? You know what everybody does? Everybody listens. Oh, listen, the armies are listening. The, the people of Israel are there. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. You know what they did when they heard it? They were greatly afraid. Now, look at verse number 24. You know what they did? They ran from their trouble. They ran from their struggle. 
But, but David, look at verse 23. The Bible says at the end of that verse, David heard them. And what David heard was, was not so much, hey, this is the time to run. You know what David heard? This is an opportunity to prove who God actually is. David was spiritually aware of what was going on around him. Why? Because the giant that was there. Let's be honest. There are some things in your life when it's all good times, you don't think at all about God. You don't think at all about the spiritual implications. You don't think about heaven. You don't think about the rapture. You don't think about the resurrection. You don't think about hell. You don't think about judgment. You don't think about winning your neighbor to Christ when everything's hunky-dory. Sometimes God allows those problems to come in your life so you can say, thank you, God, for reminding me there's a spiritual battle going on. I hear from people all the time, they go, I don't get what that spiritual battle, what is all that about in Ephesians chapter 6? I don't get that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. My life's perfect. I have no problems. Can I say this? Maybe it's because you're not aware of anything spiritual going on around you. Sometimes God allows those things into our lives for a reason. Listen, there is a war, a spiritual war going on for the minds of our children right now. Do you think for a moment, parents, that an hour on Wednesday night with Brother Jose and two hours on Sunday is going to outdo the 30-plus hours on TikTok and on Instagram? You are sorely mistaken. They need our help. And you know what they need? They need to know that we are spiritually aware of what's going on. You need to know that for yourself. There's a battle going on. Let me tell you, there's some people that are spiritually just asleep. You know what that giant comes for sometimes? You know you got to thank God for those problems sometimes, those struggles? Thank you, God, just for reminding me. It's not just about the money that I can make and the stuff that I can consume. There's something spiritual going on around me. You know, when you watch people come into church and they're growing and thriving in the Lord, and then all of a sudden they get to a certain place where it's like they hit a wall. And as a pastor, I see it. I know what's going on. It's a major test. There's a giant in their life. And how they respond to that, how they say, I choose God over what my family thinks. I choose God over what they say about me at work. I choose God over how I feel right now. How they respond to that situation determines whether they keep going on for the Lord or they stop growing right there. And sometimes, you know what I want to do as a pastor? I just want to take the struggle away. And the Lord goes, that's not your place, son. Sometimes they need it so they can be spiritually aware of what's going on around them. Some of you, listen to me, you might be spiritually asleep. I have learned it is very dangerous when my wife is in a deep sleep to wake her up. I'm not kidding. I've been hit before. And you guys think I'm kidding. I have absolutely, don't shake your head. Even at like 20 months pregnant, she'll jump up out of the bed, man. You've got to be careful when you wake certain people up. They, they wake up angry, ready to fight, man. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you kind of need to be woken up a little bit and reminded it's not just about the here and the now. There's something be, there is something at stake with what's going on spiritually around us. You cannot tell me that what's gone on in the last 10 years in Western society is just about culture and about society. There are spiritual agents at work. And if you don't see what's at stake, you know what you're doing? You're going to make the same mistake that Peter made. You know what Peter does when the Lord tells him, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. You know what Peter says? Not so, Lord. He rebukes him. You know why? He wasn't spiritually aware of what was going on. You know why James and John want to call down fire from heaven when the Samaritans don't accept Jesus coming to town? They weren't spiritually aware of what's going on. You know why some Christians respond the way they do right now? Because they're not spiritually aware of what's going on. Thomas doubts the Lord. Peter falls in the water. Judas betrays him. The Samaritan woman argues with him at first. Why? Because of a lack of spiritual, oh, we have a a big buzzword in business, empathy and self-awareness. You know what that is? Like, be aware of how you come off to people, you know? I mean, like, when someone asks you, you know, is that report done? Well, I did my part. Uh, Okay. And then you're like, well, why did you say it like that? I'm just stating the facts. Okay, you have no self-awareness at all. Uh, but, but there's another thing called spiritual awareness, where when you walk into a situation, instead of just seeing the people that are there, you understand so oftentimes there are spiritual things going on. Right. Now, look at Ephesians chapter number six with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter six. You know why those giants are good in your life? You know, some of you are facing some real big things right now. Amen. Some of them I know about, some I don't. Some are major battles in your life. 
and you're going, I could do this or I could do this, and I don't know how to deal with this problem in my life. Can I say this? This week of Thanksgiving, can I just have you stop? Before you even figure out what to do with the giant, can you just stop and say, God, thank you for the problem. Because I'm, I'm more spiritually sensitive than I've ever been in my life because of the problems that you've allowed to come into my life. You know what? I, it's, hard for a par- it's hard for a parent to watch their children struggle. You know what you want to do? You want to remove that struggle, but then you also realize if I do that every time, there's coming a day when I will not be there. They will not know how to handle life. Now, I'm not kidding. My dad, when I was eight years, seven or eight, seven years old, we were, uh, uh, went to the, the public uh, pool there in Boostbox, Germany, and I'll never forget what my dad did. I said, Dad, I'm afraid to swim. Dad, I can't swim. Dad, I don't know. Metele ya, hijo. And I said, no, 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 Dad, I'm just not. I'm sure. And he, you know what he did? He grabbed me and threw me in the pool. Arms failing like this. He go, oh, what an abusive dad. But guess what I did in about 30 seconds? I learned how to swim. <laughs> now, you don't have to follow that parenting style, but let me just say this much. I prefer that over what's going on right now. You're 15 years old. Are you sure you're ready, honey? Let me wrap you a little bit. Let me put little ducky floaties on your arms. Let them learn some hard lessons. You know, your spirit, your heavenly father allows you sometimes to go through some hard lessons. And, and, and rather, than, and rather than, than, than hating God for it and being bitter for those problems, you know what you learn to do? God, thank you that my eyes are a little bit more open than they used to be. All I used to do is just look at people as the problem and look at my money as the solution and look at these, these physical elements of life for all the, the comforts that I need. And Lord, now I'm starting to think about what, what could be at stake spiritually and how that person isn't saved and how I respond to it can make a difference in their life. And, and God, I see that someone's watching me. You see, when David was there, he was aware there was a whole army of people on this side and there was a whole army of people on that side watching how he reacted to that giant. Don't think for a moment people aren't watching. They absolutely are. Ephesians 6, look if you would at verse number 12. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Are we in the New Testament or are we not? Are you a New Testament born again child of God? That's you say amen. All right, this is for you. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We go to summer camp every year. And we got the Battle of the Bears, where these young guys will get together. We call it pay-per-view. Isn't that what we call it? And we'll videotape these kids wrestling each other, all right? And it's awesome. It honestly, is one of the highlights of my, of my going to summer camp. You say, oh, the preaching's great and the music's great. I also love watching young men just, blah, you know. And it gets worse once I know teenage girls are watching. <laughs> then they're like, oh, yeah, I got this guy. I got this guy, you know. But, but listen, as, as much of a cool battle as that is, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know where your real battle is? It's not with the people in this room or your spouse or anybody out there. And if you're a Republican, you think it's a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you think it's a Republican. If you're liberal, you think it's a conservative. You think it's someone on the other side. Hey, forget all of that. That's not where the battle is. You know where the battle is? It's against the, the armies of wickedness in high places that choose to deceive men and women and have them go to a place that God never designed them to go because Christians are spiritually asleep. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what Goliath reminds us of? We have a spiritual enemy. You know, you know what's at stake in this battle? You know what Goliath says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 9? He says, hey, if you win, we're your servants. If we win, you serve us. You know what's at stake spiritually? Spiritual freedom and spiritual bondage. Emotional freedom, emotional bondage. You know why some Christians, they're saved, but man, they just live in a locked box. They're not experiencing victory. You know why? Because when the problems come their way, they automatically say, well, this problem's not of God. It's hard. It's a struggle. I'm out. That's why some Christians for the rest of their life, they hop from church to church to church. Some Christians for the rest of their life hop from relationship to relationship to relationship, and there's no stability because they assume when there's a problem that God must not be anywhere within 10 miles of that issue. Sometimes God goes, I want you to stay and fight this one out. And when that day comes, you know what you ought to learn to say? God, thank you for the giant. God, thank you for the problem. God, thank you for that bill, right? God, God, thank you for this struggle in my marriage that I really don't appreciate. I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. 
Lord, help me to work through this the right way. God, see, whenever, I, whenever everything's going the way that it should, it's in autopilot. I don't think as much about the Lord. Some of you know the story about a man named Louis Zamperini. They made a, 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 a movie and a book about him. Um, the book was written by Lauren Hildebrand, the book called Unbroken. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And Louis Zamperini was a born and raised Roman Catholic. He knew about God and all that. World War II became a Japanese POW, and there was a particular man that he called the bird. And without going to every gruesome detail, the things that Louis was subjected to in that prisoner of war camp. And when he would close his eyes at night, he would see that man. And he would shudder and he would sweat. When they when they got them and broke them out of that POW camp, they were many of them were 50 pounds lighter than when they went in there dying, you know, was slowly dying of dysentery and worms and all kinds of issues and malnutrition and maltreatment and all the rest of it. And when he got home, they, 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 they played a record of him speaking because they didn't know the whole story behind um, the, the closed curtains. Uh, he had gotten up and been put forth as a propaganda machine uh, as part of uh, the Japanese war machine, and he was told certain things to say. They played that record because to them, they were just glad to hear his voice, and it was like, man, he's with us, and they played that. And as soon as they played that, he ran over that, that, that record player. A record player is a machine with a little needle on the end, and you put a disc, a little di- big disc, a big disc, okay, and it turns around. And he took that thing and he threw it against the wall and shattered it. And he ran up to his room. Man fell into alcoholism. Just trying to cope with memories. Deal with the, that, that, I mean, that's real trauma. It wasn't, I'm not trying to be funny, but it wasn't because someone called him by the wrong name or the wrong pronoun. And I'm not trying to be insensitive, but it, it was a different kind of struggle. You understand? Here this man is, broken. He meets this lady, Cynthia, falls in love. She's the love of his life. And After years of just watching him wrestle with this, she said, I have to do something different. She started going to Billy Graham crusade. She found truth. She went to her husband and said, Honey, would you, would you come with me? We've tried everything else. I don't want to go to that stuff. He reluctantly goes. And then Billy Graham gets up and he speaks about the fact that we're all sinners and none of us are righteous. <laughs> Remember when you were lost, you came to church and someone's like, you're not righteous on your own, you're no good on your own. You're like, who do you think you are? <laughs> to tell me I'm not good. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done, right? And this man hears that, he hears this message and he clenched fists and he walks out of that place during the invitation. You know, when, he, when Billy Graham goes, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you can come forth and receive Christ if you, if you want to, like Billy Graham would say, you know. <laughs> and they're coming forward, and he bolts out of there. And she pleads with him and pleads with him, and Sunday morning rolls around, it's the last day of the crusade, and he goes, I ain't going, I ain't going, I ain't going. And he goes, fine, I'll go with you under one condition. As soon as he says, every head bowed and every eye closed, we are gone. I'm like a wise Christian wife, she goes, okay. And she's praying the whole time. And that night, he starts talking about the beauty of nature and the California sky and how those stars were flung into existence by the creator of the universe. And that same creator of the universe notices every sparrow that falls and notices every number of hair on your head. And then he began to be filled with rage one more time, thinking about sitting in that raft and looking up at the sky and saying, if there's a God, and God didn't rescue me then. And so as the invitation opens up, he grabs his wife's hands and starts walking out. And Billy Graham literally says, you can't leave now. You want to leave while I'm preaching? Go ahead, but not now, not during the invitation. And so he stops what he's doing. He looks up. And you could just almost feel like something's going on. And he's just filled with rage over what God did. And at that same moment, his mind went back to when he's sitting in that raft. And he says, God, if you ever get me out of here. And literally, he says, I started running in one direction out the back. And when I remember that, I let go of my wife's hand. I started running to the front. Your giant may be different than his. You know what he has to ask himself? He had to ask himself, can God save me? He can save you. But do you know what that giant did in his life? It made him spiritually aware of his need. Can I say this as well? The giants force us to live by faith or by doubt. Go back with me if you would to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
1 Samuel chapter 17. You know what I learned about people? There's always someone in the crowd that has a calculator and like a little protractor thing to try to calculate how it's impossible what you're about to do for God. <laughs> like, well, we, you know, like we're looking at a building, right? And, and uh, it's going to be more money. And it's like, well, we don't have the money. Yeah, I know, but, but God does. Right? So, but there's always someone in the crowd that's like, <laughs> I've watched this happen before. You're not going to make it, right? I, I mean, look, look, can I show you what happens here when David's all excited? And you know what David says in, in verse number uh, 29? He says, is there not a cause? In other words, why is everyone standing around and nobody doing anything? You guys are grown men. I'm a teenager, and I want to go fight this guy and shut him up. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to live out the Christian life? You know what Saul says? Look, if you would, at verse number 32. David says this in verse 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight. And Saul said to David, verse 33, thou art not able. <laughs> there's always an Eeyore. There's always, there's always another voice in you going, I can't. Can I say what are, the giants are good for? You know why we should be thankful for them? They force us to either live by faith or live by doubt. You know what David did? Look, if you would, at verse number 37. David describes in verse 36 what, what God did for him before, and in verse 35 what God did for him before. And look at verse 37. You know what he says about, about this giant? The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. You know what he's saying? I choose to live by faith. Can I say faith is a choice? You know what's good about the Red Sea? You got nowhere to go. The Egyptians are behind you. There's a big body of water here. What do we do? Do what God says. Move forward. You know what's good about the Jordan River? It puts you in a place where you go, I, I can't go back, but if I go forward, I have to live by faith. Exactly. Amen. You know what God wants you to do? As a Christian, get to a place where you go, there's nowhere to go back there anymore. Amen. You know what Peter said one time? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? In John chapter 6, Jesus sees a whole bunch of disciples leave the church. It'd be like today, me getting done with the Sunday school, and 90% of you walk out and go, that was lame, see ya. And then I look over at Brother Joe, and he's like, what's happening? And I go, Brother Joe, are you going to leave too? It'd be like Joe going, where am I going to go? You know what Peter said? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know what's good about giants? Sometimes they put you in a place you go, I can't go back. The only way is forward. The only way is through. The Bible says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know what doubt says? I can't. You know what doubt says? I don't have. You know what doubt says? We won't. You know what faith says? He will. You know what faith says? He can. You know what faith says? He already has before. He'll do it again. That's what David said. But can I just say that? That is a choice that David made. When the giant came his way, he chose faith over doubt. So you should thank God this week as you look at your life and look over the year. Me and my wife do this often. We'll talk about the year and how it's been. And we'll go, man, this was tough. And man, that was, that was hard. And we talked about last year and some things we went through last year around, around this time. And I'm like, thank God we got through that. But you know what I think about? Thank God for those struggles. They make us who we are. <laughs> You guys know the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus? Great story behind that song. Brother Kidan could probably tell it better than I, but I'm going I'm to give it a shot, okay, brother, if that's okay. You can correct me later if I'm wrong. Or stand up right there and tell me he's wrong. It doesn't matter. <laughs> there were some missionaries in Wales back in the 18, middle of the 19th century. And there was a great revival that broke out there, and they all went... They all decided to go in as missionaries to all over the world, and they had a concentration of them in India. They all went to, some of them went to a, a certain part of northeastern India known as Assam. And, and, and when they got there, there was a missionary couple that had been able to, to penetrate the, the village and reach one family, not a whole village, one family with the gospel. And they got this man, this woman saved, and that man, this woman had two kids. And this man, his family, had started to reach other people in that village. That's how the gospel works, amen? It's kind of like COVID. You get too close to them, you might catch it, amen? So, so here they are, spreading the gospel. The chief of that village said, no more of that. You know what that chief did? He ran up the whole village. He got that family, and he said to the man, will you renounce your faith in Christ? You know what that man said? I have decided to follow Jesus. 
So you know what he did? He asked men that had bows and arrows there to shoot his two boys. And as those boys are lying on the ground, writhing in pain, that chief grabs that man and says, look at your boys. You want your wife to end up that way? Change now. We're camped now. This could all be over. He says, I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. They shoot his wife. Can you imagine this? There she is lying down on the ground, blood spilling out, life pouring out of her eyes, the last breath being expired out of her body with tears rolling down his face. You know what he says? Though no one go with me, still I will follow. And that chief looks over to him and says, are you done? Are you ready? This could stop now. You're next. He said, the world behind me, the cross before me. That man drops. But you know what happened? In that entire exchange, that chief thought to himself, in that moment, why would a man allow his wife and children to be killed about a man that he's never met from 2,000 years ago from a different continent? And that man said, that chief, after watching them die, tears streaming down his face, he says, I'm wrong. We're all wrong. We're all wrong. You know what happened? That chief got saved, and that village turned over to Christ. Amen. But it cost someone something. And that man was forced to live by faith in a moment where it would have been a lot easier to doubt. Look, if you would, at verse 38, we're almost done. Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. He armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. You know what David did? He grabbed all of Saul's armor. He put all this stuff on, and he kind of looks like, you know, Kind of looks like the little kid in the Christmas story. I can't get up. I can't, that kid, you know, Randy, he's all bundled up and he can't move really well. And, and David goes, uh, King Saul, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all this, but I need to face the giant the way God made me to face that giant. You know what giants do in your life? They force you to align yourself with the identity that God wants for your life. Not what works for somebody else, not what somebody else is saying, but you go, God, who do you want me to be? You know what, what Paul says? When I am weak, then am I strong. Paul found himself, listen to me, three times he asked the Lord, God, would you take this thorn in the flesh away? God, would you take this thorn in the flesh away? God, would you take this thorn in the flesh away? God, would you take this giant away? God, would you take this giant Lord, would you kill this giant for me? And you know what the Lord's answer was? My grace is sufficient for thee. And everywhere Paul would go because of the furrows that they made on his back and the, the, the beatings that he took with the canes and with the stripes and with the stonings. I guarantee you, more than likely, Paul walked around like this. And when they watched a man who used to be wealthy and known in society as a prominent member walk around poor and almost looking like a crippled man, they would ask him, what happened to you? And he would say, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His gra-. Because when I'm weak and I'm strong, and they would look at him and go, oh, you don't make any sense. And he would say, but that's what God did for me. And you know why? If you're saved today, you have truth handed down from the Apostle Paul. A man who three times went to God saying, take it away, take it away, take it away. You know what God said? Paul, you don't understand this now, but someday you will. This giant in your life is going to make you who you are. You're going to write things to people that you never thought you could write. Because of the pain you're experiencing. And I'll close with this thought. Look, if you would, at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Look at the end of the verse. He says that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Look at verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord... Do you notice what David's not saying? They're going to remember me. They're going to point to me. They're going to say, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. When the ladies come out and say, David wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. You know what David was thinking about? You're what, you are what matters, Lord. You know what giants do? They get us recentered on what matters. David wins that day. Can I parallel that against Saul, who's watching all of it? 
Saul watches this giant get slain and all that. But you know what? Saul leaves that place spiritually no different than how he came in. And I hope none of you do that. You know, Saul, he watched God do a great victory that day. But for the rest of Saul's life, he deals with the giant of manipulation, the giant of insecurity, the giant of hatred, the giant of bitterness, the giant of selfishness. This is Saul. He could have dealt with this the way David did, and his life could have been different. You know what happens? A couple years later, Saul has another battle with the Philistines, same group of people. You know what happens? He goes, man, I'm afraid. Why is he afraid? Maybe because he never lived by faith in the moment like David did. See, some battles, they don't just go away. They keep coming back. Maybe with a different name, but they're going to keep coming back if you don't deal with them. And Saul said, God, what do you think about this? And God didn't answer him. And instead of repenting and getting right, you know what Saul did? He went to a witch to try to get information from below. It's like when you go read your Bible and you're not getting anything. You go, maybe I'll just find something on YouTube. <laughs> you know? Saul did that, and you know what happens? Saul dies a few chapters later. Empty, broken, unfulfilled. His life could have been different. Some of you know the story. I'll close with this. Some of you don't. There's a family in Malawi named the Rosmondo family. And uh, we had them come through here years and years ago. Uh, I think they actually stayed outside of our house in in an RV type thing, if I remember correctly. The Rosmondo family left America, left the comforts of home, moved to a third world, very third world country. Look, Mexico is third world in parts, but you can get to resorts if you want to in Mexico. I'm talking Malawi, Africa. Left the comforts of home, moved to a remote area. They had their house broken into before, and they'd done what they could with security. And as Americans, we go, well, just buy some security cameras. How do you get them? Got him shipped in the country, and all he's busy working and ministering to the people there. A couple weeks ago, his daughter hears a noise, tells the sisters, "Hey, I'm gonna go out and check on this noise. Sounds like a dog or something." Goes outside, climbs the ladder. She's abducted right away. Thrown into a burlap sack. Parents don't know this. We get the call, we get the text, we get the "Hey, pray for us. This is what's going on." I'm going to tell you right now, if my kid was kidnapped, I would lose my mind. Every dad, every dad has the dream to be Liam Neeson and taken. (laughs) I mean, I've had those dreams from like, I will find you. (laughs) And I will kill you. But in real life, when you're living in a third world country and you have no weapons... He drives all over town just looking for any sign of life, anyone that might know anything, goes to the police, and they go, oh, well, maybe she's with her friends. He goes, she, no, no, you don't understand. That's not my daughter. And they just kind of act like no big deal. The rage that would fill you. You know what the first thought would be that would go through my head? God, I left everything. I left America. I left my job. I left my family. I left the, my kids growing up with cousins and with grandparents, and I moved to this stinking side of the world where these people, they'll lie to me right in front of my face. They'll t- cut me behind my back. They don't care. I've given my life to them and to serve you, and this is how you pay me back? I don't remember the timeline. Maybe it was a whole day. Day goes by. Finally, they get the call. That girl, on her way out of the house, grabbed a pocket knife and stuffed it in her pants. And at some point, when the vehicle was moving slowly enough, she ripped that bag open, jumped out, walked nine hours by herself into a village seeking help. There's no doubt God's hand was there to protect her. The atheist says, wasn't God powerful enough to protect her from the beginning? The Christian would say, thank God she made it back. Now, let me ask you this. If that was you, wouldn't you shake your fist up there and go, why? You know what that mom has said? The very mom of that daughter, you know what she said? I know a lot of you in America are concerned for us, but I want you to know I'm praying that my husband will follow God's will, and if that means we stay here, then I will praise God for staying here. Some of you don't understand that. And part of the reason why because you haven't learned to thank God for the giants in the life that you have right now. Let me tell you something. If you don't do that on a daily basis, 
The Bible says the, the Goliath, the giant, came morning and evening. These battles we face are daily. If you don't learn to do this on a daily basis with the smaller giants in your life, boy, when the big ones come, I'm thankful that one day that trumpet is going to blow and we're going to split through the sky and, and I'm going to say, he just called my name and he's going to go, no, he didn't. He done, he done called my name. And, and, and I'm going to say, no, he said Adrian. He said it in Spanish, Adrian, you know, come up hither. And we're going to break through that and get up there at glory. It's going to be a great reunion forever and ever and ever. The old missionary said this, Robert Moffat. He said, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories and only one small hour in which to win them. This is your hour. Let's thank God for the giants. It's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would, as we leave today and get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, Lord, then. The truth is we have a hard enough time just stopping and thanking you for the real blessings in life, let alone the hardships and the problems and the struggles. But Father, we come to you and we ask that you would, before we leave, just bring a stillness to this place. Lord, there are some giants that some of your people are facing right now, and I don't know what they all are, but I know they can overcome them with your help. Lord, I know that the victory that you have already given us that we possess in eternal life can be translated into abundant life if we're willing to thank you for these problems, to thank you for these struggles, or to thank you for these giants. Lord, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to a place where there'll be no giants at all. <laughs> but until then, Lord, would you help us to fight as a good soldier for Jesus Christ? Every head bowed and every eye closed. The piano plays. If the Lord has spoken to you, I pray you'd respond. The altar is open. We encourage if there's a struggle in your life right now, rather than just saying it's going to go away. It'll just get better with time. Some things need to be dealt with. And they don't just go away. Goliath was not going to go away. Someone was going to win that day. Someone was going to lose. God's people won because of one young man. And what he allowed God to do in his life at that moment. But that same spirit that filled that young man fills you as a born-again believer. And I'm encouraging you to thank God for the giants. Thank God for the struggle. So much can be gained. For the rest of David's life, he would be known as the giant slayer. It's just a moment in his life, really. As a young man, and decades later, they're still referencing this. One time David goes to the Philistines himself to find a, a place of refuge. He's running from Saul. And they look over the walls of that city and go, aren't you the one that killed the giant? Christian, God wants that for you. Take the lessons from today. Apply them in your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask this question. If you're here and you've never been born again, Would you be honest enough with God and with yourself? Nobody's looking around. I'll, let me throw it out this way. If you're a born-again child of God and you know you're saved, you could raise your hand, couldn't you? Say, yep, that's me. I'm a born-again child of God. I know I'm saved. I know I'm heaven-bound. I know where I'm going for eternity. But if you're lost, you've never been born again, You've never been adopted into God's family with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. Can I ask you this question? Would you be honest enough with God to say, Lord, I'm not sure of my eternity. I'm not sure of this giant of eternity, this giant of my own sin, of my own self-righteousness. I've tried religion. I've tried different things. I've tried psychology. I've tried therapy. I'm not sure how to get past this. I don't know how to be reunited with the creator of the universe if that's you would you be honest enough 
to simply raise your hand and say, please pray for me. I'm not saved. But pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure if I am. I'm not, I'd like to know about my eternity. I'd like to know how to be born again. If that's you, would you be honest enough to do that? I won't point you out. I will not drag you down here. It's between you and God. Maybe you're a Christian that knows of someone that isn't saved and you're trying to reach them. Would you be honest enough to raise your hand and go, eh, I know someone I'm trying to reach. Amen. Some people in my life I'd like to reach. Would you pray? I'd love to pray for them. I'd love to. Amen. Some of you work with some folks. Some of you have family members. You'll see this week at Thanksgiving. T- take advantage of the opportunity. And you know what that moment may feel like? It may feel like a giant. How do I say the right thing? What do I do? Act on faith. Know that God will give you victory. As you go out and start your week, it should be a week of Thanksgiving. I just want to encourage you one last time. Christian, thank God for the struggle. Thank God for the issue. Please understand, I'm not, I'm not making light of it. Outside of God, probably the person that knows best is my wife. There are things that I know God's people go through and I wish I could take them away. But it's not my place. God has allowed it in your life for a reason. Thank Him through it. Your life could be so different. Thanks for coming today. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate your attention. A lot of thoughts to try to get out in the message this morning. I hope it's of some help to somebody. And I pray you get something out of the word this morning. Uh, As we go home, enjoy your lunch. If you can make it back this evening, 6 o'clock. We don't have Sunday night service very often. We're not going to have a midweek service this week because of it, because of Thanksgiving. I know, I know. So you got to come tonight, right, Carlos? That's right, that's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, forget about your diet, amen. Come enjoy some pie. Uh, but it'll be good fellowship. And uh, if there's anyone here that has any questions about salvation, please don't leave here without those questions unanswered. I'd, I'd love to answer those for you. Um, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Sean, Brother Sean Bowie, if you would close us in a word of prayer. And Brother, if you would, just make sure on the way out folks have the opportunity to grab some of these as well. Brother, if you would.